Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello, and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So Philip gestures for you two to sit on the love seat as he sits on the couch. And you notice that Brian Rogers is walking towards the window and he's kind of just like looking out the window with his hands crossed. Not like he's listening at the conversation, but he's not paying too much attention. And Philip looks at Rita and he's like, so is this you formally asking permission for any nods to you, Marco, for him to be in my city? And she like kind of, you see this weird change happened to Rita where she goes from being that stoic figure, that stoic figure when you were dealing with her to almost like she has this like smile that cracks her face. And she's like, you can see now she's trying to, but she's successful at it, but kind of come across as like, you know, way to you back. And she looks at Philip and she's like, of course, Philip, you know, that's the case. And he, you see Philip just smiles. He's like, I know formalities, <sighs> such a waste of time. Seriously. He looks at you, Marco. He's like, of course, Marco, you are welcome in this city. You're aware of the traditions I take it and respecting one's domain and masquerade and all that. Yes, of course. And the way that Marco is sitting right now, so he's sitting close to Rita on this love seat. He has his leg kind of like crossed a little bit, you know, like one of his feet is up on his other leg and he has his arm. It's not around Rita's shoulder, but it's on the back of the, like the neck of the couch kind of like going behind Rita. Yeah. So he's sitting pretty close, but also just trying to appear casual. Does he feel casual? He does feel more comfortable now. Okay. You see with, along with your comfortable stance, you see Rita like sits back and kind of like crosses her legs respectfully, you know, like how females do when they're wearing dresses like that, kind of like the, her knee pit goes over her knee. So where both legs cross, not to show, you know, what she's wearing under her, dress and you see philip sits back but he doesn't cross his feet but he more kind of like slouches in the couch with both arms kind of like one draped over the back and one on the arm and then you see he crosses his legs like you and he looks at you and he's like so why are you here marco well rita and i'm looking at rita as i say this rita mentioned that i may be able to help you with something and i think i will be able to help you with something in fact i know i will be able to oh and, and you see him like rubs his chin for a second. He looks back at Rita. And he's like, Rita, you like to have things over me, don't you? And it is this weird, like kind of shift in the conversation, but it's still lighthearted. But the, the way that, you know, he said it and she looks at Philip and she's like, it's not that we want to hold things over you, Philip. And you, you know that it's a partnership that we have and we want to help you out. And you see Philip looks at her and he nods. He's like, yeah, but it seems like that, that one of yours is kind of making waves in the city here. What about the whole thing with Ophelia? And you see Rita 
looks at you, Marco, for a second, looks back at Philip and is like, well, what can I say? How can I defend myself against baseless accusations that provide no evidence? How can I defend myself against rumors or innuendos of whisperings that happen amongst the harpy or amongst individuals nothing better to do it feels like hey he puts his hands up kind of like you know palms facing towards the guy i'm not i'm not blaming you guys for anything i think it's ridiculous if i may interject philip i'm sorry whatever the optics of what roman may or may not have done i assure you it's going to be completely under control i'm going to be speaking with roman myself personally and it's not going to be an issue well, of course, and I and I and I, I've spoken with Roman, and I know Roman, and Roman seems like a good guy, and I wouldn't think that Roman would go and do anything like that. He wouldn't be that sloppy. I'd obviously think that there's someone in the city who wants me to feel or others to feel that your family, your clan, is responsible for what happened, and be that what it may, I don't believe it. So I want you to know that upfront here. I don't think that you guys would do that, but I am worried because right now in this city there are things going on that, I mean, one of my clan was working against me was working against our emotions to you two and everyone else's emotions to the big picture window behind everyone else's well-being. We had neonates in the city who felt the need to go into an established kindred's domain and cause a ruckus and cause a riot that are now on the run, that are actively pursuing to undermine our safety and sanctity of us in the city. Listen, and you see he gets up and he walks around the couch and he faces the window and he turns around and you see him and Brian are facing you both. This, and he motions to the huge window like he's not even looking at it, is mine. All that is mine. And I don't mean that in a possessive kind of way. I mean that the responsibility is mine. Your safety is mine. The traditions are mine. Making sure that everything flows in this city so that we all can survive is mine. We, Of course. And it's, and it's no small task, I'm, I'm sure. But what I want you to understand is that our best interests are your best interests as well. And what's that? We'll help you with your problem. And I'm just like looking at Rita. You see Rita looks at you. Give me a perception and empathy roll, please. Difficulty seven. That's a fail. So you look at Rita and you can't really read anything from her. She's just looking at you and she looks back at the prince. So out of character, I'm trying to, I'm trying to smooth talk Philip. I'm trying to basically convince him that whatever, whatever he needs, I'm your man. But at the same time, I feel like I'm getting, you know, Marco feels himself getting in over his head and he doesn't want to lay, lay out any cards on the table. He doesn't want to just talk about anything out in the open. Like the way that he mentioned the rumors about Roman, he's never going to, he knows better than to ever actually talk about those rumors. He, he just says like the optics of, of what are, you know what I mean? And he like, he's kind of just trying to take it in this very, not like damage control approach, but yeah. just like treading very carefully. But at the same time, right now, he feels himself just in over his head. If he could sweat right now, he probably would be. <laughs> so uh, two things. One, he was talking about Ophelia. He wasn't really talking about the room, the Roman rumors. He was just talking about the Ophelia's murder, you know? And two, would you like to make a roll to see if you can kind of like talk your way out of like how, cause what he's saying right now is like, what, it, what, it, what is your reason for being here? You know what I mean? Like what, like you say that you want to help me be successful. What, you know, he's kind of just basically making you say why you're here. So uh, I'll let you roll uh, manipulation and subterfuge and we could say difficulty six. Go ahead and roll that for me. Okay. I'm going to roll that. I'd also like to say willpower. And basically what I'm trying to do is, 
just convince him that I'm here, whatever you need. And my goal in all of this is to solidify my family's relationship with you and your city. All right. And I'm going to roll perception and empathy. Does so my careful apply? Yes. I'll let, uh, yes. I'll let your careful apply. Yes. So how many successes did you get? You got four total. Yeah. So you both got four. So the prince, he Philip rolled four. you rolled four. So this is a moment where you're, yeah, well, let's role play it out, okay? But basically, there's this weird like standoff. You don't get the impression that he is like looking down on you, like you fucked it up. But he's not like overly like, oh yeah, we're pals, you know. So let's go ahead and play this out. So he says what he said. How do you reply, Philip? I'm here on Rita's behalf to help you. She thought maybe some of the knowledge that I have, some of the services that I'd be able to offer you would be of use to you. And my goal is only to solidify the relationship that my family has with you in your city. And he's standing on the back of the couch with his hands on it, like leaning forward to it. And he's looking at you and he's like, that's good. Cause Rita and I have been building a relationship for almost what, 80 years now, Rita? And Rita just kind of nods. And I only seek to make that stronger. That's, that's all I'm here to do. Look, I respect you as a businessman. I dealt with your company. It was a while ago, but I'm, I'm sure you remember. Oh, you did? What? And she looks at, he looks at Rita and Rita's like, yeah, he helped out before he was brought over. He helped out with the whole Madrid imports thing that happened. And he looks at you. He's like, oh. And I'm still trying to appear as like humble as possible. I'm not trying to like, I'm just like. Well, then you'll know what the reason behind that, as I'm sure Rita has probably shared with you, was to save our collective well-being here in the city. You have to understand, Marco, that I'm in a tough situation. And with the help of Rita and others, though, I have been able to make this and emotions towards the city, the paradise that it is. Think about this, Marco. And you come from Boston, I assume. That's what word is. This city, these two cities are very important and dear to me because we are more influential than people think. But yet we're secluded up here, left to our own. For the last 70 years, almost, I've made this a safe place. We almost lost this city in 1945 before I was in the position that I am now. And after that, I ensured that something like that would never happen again. So you say that you're here to help me. I'm sure you have your own motivations, as I'm sure Rita does, as I'm sure everyone here does. But I'm sure we can put those aside to ensure each other's well-being. And that's what I'm here for. You're going to find out there, there are others of our kind who may not have the same motivations. Here's what I expect of you, Marco. I expect of you to go out there with the mind that every decision you make, every relationship you make, every step that you make, a part of that is for my well-being and the city's well-being. Consider a tax of sorts, but do not cross me, Marco. And you feel this chillness come. Give me perception alertness roll also difficulty six, please. Two successes. You feel when it gets chill like that, you are looking around the room and you see Rita just like zone in on him. You see like this intensity kind of come. You notice her lips part a little bit and you can see almost through her lips. They almost like stretch out so much. They're almost translucent and you can kind of see through her lips, her teeth almost and her canines. Like they almost look like they're extending just a little bit. When you see and you look and you see that Brian is standing behind Philip. And you realize that this man is loyal to Philip. Like you couldn't imagine you could like almost like your relationship with Rita and you see Philip is staring at you and you see those kind of almost like sleepy eyes a little bit are no longer looking that way. And he says to you, do not cross me. 
There are those in the city now who no longer exist because they did. And there are those who are hiding because they know the moment they stick their head out, they will be destroyed. People took the comfort I provided, and now they are trying to trample it. And I will no longer stand witness to it. But, and you see, he stands up for a second and he's all like, the tension's gone. I know that I can trust on you. And I'm sincere when I say that. And I know that we can get through these rough waters and we can build the influence that we each need. As to the matter that I'm sure that, you know, needs to be looked into, Brian here will give you the details of where you can find what you need for it. And you can communicate with him and tell him what he finds or however. Other than that, do you have any questions? None. I thank you for allowing me into your city. I promise I'll be a respectful guest. And I'm trying to just appear as friendly as I can at this point. I'm smiling warmly. I'm not acting afraid. Or I'm not trying to act afraid. Oh, do you want? Do, you, do, do are you afraid though? Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> give me a, give me then uh, uh, manipulation and subterfuge difficulty uh, six, please. And I'm going to make the same roll that I made here. That's one success for me. So you got one success, but Philip got four. And you see, there's a moment where he shakes your hand and he looks at you. Excuse me. You see the smile break across his face, and it's a TV smile. And you can see like his perfect teeth. Like before he was embraced, he had like these perfect teeth. And you see he goes, you're not a guest, Marco. You're a resident now. You're a resident of my city. And you just feel like the tightness of the hand as it like, like tightens in yours. And he let goes. And he's like, until then, I hope you guys have a good rest of your evening. Hey, Brian, will you go ahead and show them out? I have some phone call I have to make. And you see like Rita get up and she like shake shakes Philip's hand. And you see like Brian walk up and he kind of puts his hands on both your shoulders and he kind of like guides you out the door what's going on in your head right now oh what the fuck okay what's going on in marco's <laughs> head right now what's going on in marco's head right now he feels like he just had a standoff with another predator and he was the lesser of the of the predators in the standoff and it doesn't feel good but that's the natural way of things and he's aware of his vulnerability in that moment yeah for sure, man. So as you guys go back into that lobby and the door closes behind, Brian is standing out there and Brian looks at you both. And you see Brian takes this card and he hands it to you. And you look and it looks like it says Allen and Sons moving. And it looks like this really cheap, like moving U-Haul kind of company, local company. And there's a telephone number on there. And he's like, you're going to call this number. What you're going to need or whatever you do. And you notice they don't ever mention bodies. You know what I mean? That Rita just said that, you know, but to get the, the material that you need. You call that number, you can ask them to drop it off to a specific location, or you can go and they have it, what you need there, and you can go look at it there. Once you're done, you can tell the person who answers that phone, Alan, to contact me, and, and we'll find a way to communicate with each other, and you can tell me what you found, okay? Absolutely. Okay, sounds good. And he's all mellow. He doesn't ever talk like in these like political, like it's very like, yeah, I'm going to talk like this. You know, just very like Midwestern, you know, or, or uh, Northern, you know, and he, Sticks out his hand and shakes both of your guys' hand, and you guys are soon led back out to your SUV. And you see that there is the car, the driver of the BMW, and you see that Jamie is in the back seat, like she's waiting for you. When you guys both are left alone, you and Rita are left alone. Rita looks at you and she's like, "Now is your time." And she like looks out that whole city. Now it's time for you to cultivate the influence for our family. You might not be able to reach me for a little bit. You know where my haven's at, if need be. You can try to find me there. You know how you can contact me if you need to. Someone will find me. But you have in the next few evenings on your own. 
how about this? And it's a Friday night right now. She's like, we'll meet up Tuesday night. I'd like to talk to you Tuesday night then. Yes, of course. Okay. So she gets in the SUV in the backseat and the SUV drives off. I'll give her that like classic hug and double kiss before we part ways. Yeah, definitely. When you are done with that, you see Jamie gets out of the backseat of the vehicle and she kind of like leans against the BMW. The driver's not even out. He's still sitting there and she's just kind of looking at you while you look at the SUV drive off. Out of character, do I know if Jamie has already, I know that we already went over this. Do I know if Jamie has already set up my living arrangements? I know yeah. that. She gave okay. you an apartment. She told you that there's a car at the apartment in the garage and everything like that. It's set to your liking. There's a phone that she handed you and there's $5,000 in cash that's in the car that's at the apartment. But she's just kind of standing there leaning against the vehicle, looking at you, like kind of trying, you can, you get the impression she's kind of trying to gauge what you're, what you're going through right now, but she's not wanting to break the silence. I look over to Jamie. Everything's in order. She looks at you for a second. There's a pause. You can see her gray, almost like, feline looking eyes and that southern bone structure look at you and she just says you look troubled this bothers marco he's like in his head Mm. he's upset that somebody would notice that yeah but you've kind of picked up though that the connection that you and her have through the proxy almost makes her able to see through your facade. You know what I mean? Like the, the walls you put up sometimes. Maybe she doesn't see that in you. Maybe it's just this weird connection that she feels with you where she can kind of tell that, you know what I mean? That you're on edge because she feels on edge a little bit. I just give her a smile and she can probably see that it's kind of a vacant smile. And Marco's thinking, Jamie's done really well. I'll reward her tonight. Oh, so she's like, would you like to go back to the apartment that I got for you. Yeah, I think it'd be appropriate if I get settled in, see what my new home will be. And she gets into the vehicle as you get in the back seat. As the car starts driving out of the parking garage and doing the loops, she you could kind of see like the light as like you're going around like the light that cuts through the cement on the on those downward spirals cuts through there and you can kind of see her features and she's like, "So, do you have any idea where to start here? Is there anything you need from me?" No, you've you've done well. You can relax for the time being. I think I'm going to start by talking to Roman, make sure his shit is under control. I don't want him embarrassing Rita. I don't want him embarrassing the family. After that, I'm not really sure. Maybe I'll talk to the brothers. Again, I haven't really decided. I'm just trying to gather myself at the moment. I'm sure it's pretty overwhelming coming to a new city. Yes, it is. It is. This is certainly not Boston. But I think we're going to be okay here. I hope I made a good impression tonight. I'm sure you did. Rita seems to be someone who has influence, from what I can tell, especially in the city. I, do you want me to set up a, a time for Roman to speak to you? We can make an impression. I think an impression would be good, maybe. Marco is kind of just like thinking about this. Yeah, I think that would be good. Why don't you set that up, Jamie? Okay. Can I, can I give an opinion? Of course, speak freely. I think maybe we should make him wait a little bit. Maybe set up for tomorrow night. I would say probably even like maybe two or three in the morning. I think it would be a good, strong way to introduce yourself. I agree. That's that's the correct move. Of course. All right, I'll do that. Is there anything else that you're going to need? That'll be it. Jamie, I'm going home now. I want you to join me in a few. 
And there's a moment where it's almost like this uncomfortable awkwardness that you probably felt with your like first sexual experience, you know, like where it's just like this tension because you know she knows what you're talking about. And but it's not it's not the what you the proxy isn't sexual how you do it with her. Like you said, it's almost like this religious ritualistic experience, you know, so it's it's like but still very sacred. It's still a very humbling private matter, you know, especially to someone of her of her personality and demeanor, you know, uh, her nature is she's not the type to hum, you know, not the type to completely to give over herself to something like that, you know, for, to, to, to be like, I have to rely on you. Now she likes to, you know, obviously she's dedicated to you, but that's a very humbling thing for someone I'm sure like her to be like, I have to completely show my, my weakness and that I rely on you to get me to where I am. And so have you put much thought into like what that all entails at that, that the, the, the ritual? He's thought about it. He knows that he, it's not like a low effort thing. So he knows that he needs to basically set it up. And that's kind of like how a lot of his necromancy works is it's going to be things he has to set up. It's going to be things he has to prepare for. And this is just like this modern, you know, modern home or modern apartment he's going to be living in. And it's not necessarily like absolutely wait till you see it that's she she she's she she in his head in his head in his head yeah so what she did is you guys are driving you find yourself you don't have to drive that long and you're not driving but your driver is but basically it goes he drives about like 20 minutes and you see he goes to this area you start seeing that there's the river one of the rivers there and you start seeing like these kind of old like warehouses but then you start seeing some of these old warehouses have been like replaced or remodeled into like apartments and you kind of like are getting the impression you kind of i'm sure saw this in boston like a gentrification where they like they take these older areas and they start like slowly like remodeling for higher end clientele and that is where she got your apartment at as you got as this car is driving past these like decrepit warehouses soon you start finding like towards the edge of the mill district you start seeing like like nicer cars and parking lots full of cars and you see like there's a couple parks there and then you see like these older kind of warehouse buildings that have been remodeled and to, to be apartments. And you, that's where she eventually has the driver go up to. You see that there is like this, these parking garages in a way, like single unit garages that are across from the apartments. And there's like a parking lot between them, but they, 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 they don't look like they were made the same time that the actual studio apartment that you're going to be living in. There's only like 10 parking spots, 10 parking garages. They're like these single, they're all one unit. But they have like the, the and, and it's like a reddish color, but the the garage doors are tan and they have like, you know, like one and two and three above each one of them, which you assume that they're assigned to specific apartments. And then when you go and look at this apartment that these uh, this building that you're staying in, you can see at one time how it used to be. A, a, a warehouse. It's, it's almost like it doesn't look like a warehouse though, but you just look at the structure of it. You see that it has like, it's made of brick, made of red brick, right? And you see that it has like these two doors at the end of them. And they, they're like nice looking doors, but they're not glass they're, they're, and they're, but they're not like cheap metal. They, they, they are this intricate, like heavy wood doors that you definitely know have been part of gent- part of it being gentrified. And as you walk up to the front after you get out of the car and you walk up to one of these doors you open the door and you can go into it with her but you see that you're almost at or like there's these mailboxes that are along the wall there's only 10 of them and you can see that there is like a little like like weird lobby but it's not like anywhere where you can like like uh have a party because it's not meant for that but it's where you can sit and lounge you know there's like a couple like 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 decorative love seats and chairs and there's like decorative 
fake plants in there, you know, and there's like a carpet within there, but you see that it's definitely not, it's more for like how apartment complexes like have like these fake little like rooms where you, Oh, look at, you can use this room if you want to have like friends together to have some drinks, but it's not really meant for that because no one ever uses these lounges like that. And then when you, you see that there's this elevator that is there. And when you go into the elevator, you see that there's three floors and she hits the top floor, the third floor button. And this elevator takes you both up. And this elevator's like a older, kind of like a, looks like it's a older model one. It's, it looks like it's supposed to be older, but it's deck. It's, it's designed to look that way. You you can't quite tell how exactly old it is but it has like the when you when you hit the button like this old metal gate closes first and then like the the real elevator door closes you know and then it takes you up it has like this this weird this weird dated style to it but you know it's secure when you feel it start going up and it's kind of amusing because it's like this it, it plays to the 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 aesthetic of this whole area of town when the elevator doors go open and this steel like the the cast iron door opens and then the normal elevator door opens she walks out and you see that there is one there's a hallway like you step out and there's one door in front that has the number eight and then she you look at the left and you see like there's a hallway that goes down and and the hallway actually is real wood floor you know it's not laminate wood you can like what you see like the wood the actual you can tell you you know when you step onto that hallway in the floor you can hear your heels go against it you can hear jamie's heels and you know that like this isn't laminate and you can see when you look down you see like there's little lights on the wall of the hallway on each end that are supposed to replicate like gas lights almost to fit the vibe and aesthetic of the elevator. But you know, there's no way that that's gas is running in the hallway. And you see that there's one door at the end there at the, at the very end, not along each wall, but at the end of the hallway. And you look to the right and you see that there's a num- another one, you know? So, and the one down on the end of the hall- hallway is eight. The one right in front of you is nine. And the one at the end is 10. And she takes out a key and she hands it to you. And she's like, this one's yours. And she points to the door at number nine. And then she points down to number eight. And she's like, that one's mine. And that one, and she points to the number 10, is ours. But no one's going to live there. And she hands you another key. And she's like, this is the key for number 10. I know you like your privacy. Well, at the moment, I'd prefer company. Of course. She waits for you to unlock number nine. And I'm just going to unlock the door. I'm going to let her step inside first. Mm -hmm. And she's probably... They're probably just going to immediately begin this process. He's never seen this place yet, but as he's taking in the new sites of his new home, he's going to be setting up, putting up the ritual devices, putting things in place for his first, for this sacrament him and Jamie are about to, about to have. Do you want to go into detail about it or would you prefer to fade to black on it? We'll fade to black on it, but mm-hmm. just generally it, it's not like a sexual thing. Yeah. It's, it's not like they engage in like sexual acts or anything like that. I just like, I don't know if it would be like particularly interesting to just role play all the way through it. Oh yeah. I think it's just, it's kind of more just like a mimic of the first communion. Mm-hmm. And he basically in a very like ritual circumstance involving lots of Catholic imagery, crosses, candles, stained glass that he sets up, um, lights that he sets up, usually like candlelight or lamp to create different visual effects. He basically creates an entire atmosphere and then 
gives Jamie his Vitae in a cup or chalice. It's like a metal receptacle. And it's like a very kind of like formalized thing that they do. But it's like, it's for him, it's awkward for him to bring it up. It's like you said, it's like, it's like suggesting that a girlfriend go back to your place or something but they know exactly what the drill is. Well, your guys' facade is completely down at that point. You know, in the car, you were different. Now it's like this weird, like, I'm your master, giving you strength and communion, and you are accepting it, you know? So it's like both your disguises uh, to the real world are completely down. And it's this very bestial, unholy monstrosity. You are giving a drug addict their drug right now, and they are gladly accepting it in this mockery of religion. And to add to a little bit is this apartment, you notice when you go in there, it has all your shit from Boston. Like she had all your stuff moved here and moved in, all your ritualistic stuff, you know, all your other you know, stuff. And she even mentions things that are not to be seen. And it's almost like this capital letters thing is in that apartment number 10, you know, that you are, that she said belongs to you guys also. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't pick up that. Um, that, oh, that, that she said is what the, okay. So, yeah. and then, okay. So then in that case, he will be delighted to see the care that she's taken in nice. getting that set up. Yeah. And it's this thing for both of them, for him, it's a moment of having power over another person. And for her, it's this moment of submission to another person's power. And it's this thing where, it's destructive for both of them and they bond from it every time. They're both damned together by an entity that's much greater than them had decided that they both are to lead this existence of damnation. I mean, you didn't have the call. She didn't have the call to do it. And you guys were both forced by this unseen entity, this institution to do it against your will in a fucked up way. And he probably also considers that the way that he goes about it He's not really sure like where she stands on all of that, but it's almost like she's somebody who indulges in his fetish, you know? And it's like, I'll do this, I'll do this weird thing you want because at at the end of the day, that's how I'm going to get my fix. And he, he tries to disillusion himself about that fact, but deep down he knows that's true. But you don't even know what goes on in her head. You know what I mean? You don't at all, you know, while she's going through this. She's like kind of like this mystery in herself. So we'll say we'll fade to black on that and the rest of the evening will fade. If you enjoyed Eidolon, I highly recommend checking out Juarez on Fire. It's another of our Vampire the Masquerade games set in 1942 following the Pale Riders. Like Eidolon, Juarez on Fire highlights another faction of Vampire the Masquerade, showing the complex relationships and requirements needed to be a part of the Sabbat. 